0: Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, life coach and psychotherapist, Nikki Eisenhower, and on today's episode, we are discussing the Michael Jackson documentary, Leaving Neverland. This career of mine has shown me things that I never intended to see or know. And what I've come to believe is that there are a few celebrities that seem to have a mega pull on our heartstrings as a culture. The week Robin Williams died was one of the busiest I've had in the 10 years I've worked for myself. Person after person came in asking me if it was weird that they were really affected by his death. Michael Jackson is one of those celebrities. I, of course, have never met or worked with either of these celebrities, and I'm not suggesting that I have a handle on their private lives, and I'm not making diagnoses. I've had so many people, clients, colleagues, acquaintances, friends over the last month or so mention this documentary to me. I, th- I think it's an important thing that I address here on Emotional Badass. Maybe I can tap into this issue and help us sort out the kinds of feelings that we're having and how we can use the pain in this story to grow as individuals and as a culture. I know that some of you out there have watched this documentary and many of you couldn't finish it due to the graphic explanations of the survivors. If you were sexually abused, manipulated, used As a child, it can be startling to go from a lifetime of holding the secrets and holding them very tightly. In trauma, we say that the devil is in the details. And for survivors of such abuse, it is therapeutic to release the details. It can be startling to have a lifetime of holding those secrets and then seeing someone who's at a different stage in healing Name what happened and with specificity. This is often how we clear the hurt and the pain that's wrapped up in those very intimate details of such an intimate abuse. As a side note, I want to talk to therapists and varied healers in the field for a moment to say many of you will learn a technique in your trauma healing that encourages walking survivors through those details. Many a therapist tried to do that technique with me before they did the important work of building rapport with me, making sure I felt safe. It's re-traumatizing to ask a client to do that work before they're ready and before that bond is strong because there needs to be a strong bond there to be able to do that work. Many healers get excited about the technique that they've learned and the hope of healing, but a technique is not an art form. So if you're a healer and you struggle with when to pull that technique out or how to pull that technique out or when to know that it's the time, know that you are welcome to have sessions with me about that so that you can grow into some confidence about the art of healing that you're offering. Sometimes the bond to be able to do this work might take six months to years And healthcare people, you must understand that the average person out there has poor experiences with getting mental health help. And trauma survivors have been so pathologized for their symptoms. They have depression. They have anxiety. Instead of being walked through and handheld on the journey of understanding, no sweet survivor, nothing is wrong with you. You're supposed to be depressed and anxious if someone has violated your body, your heart, your spirit, and your innocence. It's our job as healers in the field to educate our individual clients and the public on the value of spending money, time, resources, building that bond. And as practitioners, we need to be better about knowing what space we can hold well and what space we can't for survivors. So healers, we've got to do our work too. As healers, just as clients have to do their work too, all of us are working in this healing field. And we're working at all times. There's never a time when we're done our work. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Just to be clear, I'm talking about this Michael Jackson documentary to shine light and understanding and help sort the messiness of this story. Not to shame any of the people in the story. Not the victims, not the perpetrators. And as always, I hope to share as a teaching tool and an offering my perspective through the lens of my personal experience and my professional training. There is an opportunity in the story of Michael Jackson and his survivors. Michael Jackson is a fantastic way for us to learn about the cycles of abuse. I'm grateful this documentary is part of the the growing uncovering of sexual abuse in this country and in the world. For a very long time, I held out a lot of hope that Michael Jackson was innocent of sexual abuse charges. One of the layers for me is that he was my most vivid first crush as a very small girl. Thriller was released in 1982. When I was four or five in the 80s, I found that album and I would open it up. It it extended. It opened up. It It was big. The background was black. He's in the white suit with the baby tigers playing around him. And it may have been my first real big secret as a small child in my family, because I would have gotten into big trouble, if not an ass beating, for crushing on a black man in southern Louisiana. My biological father and mother were both violent and volatile. And this was many years before a sexual abuser was in my life. And I've often wondered if I could feel that similarity in Michael Jackson. And if I was drawn to him well before, I was a sexual abuse survivor. As we as a country watched Michael age, I believe it became more apparent that we could see his inner child. We could see his woundedness from his violent father. Michael's sister, LaToya, wrote a memoir in 1992 accusing their father of sexual abuse of herself and another female sibling. Later, she recanted these claims. And what I can tell you from my career and my personal experience is that this is common to recant when abuse is real due to the emotional pressures and tremendous grief and the bonds that get severed by voicing this familial secret. I can tell you that this is common to recant because. Dropping the truth on any system that is layered in secrecy and abuse, that truth goes off like a bomb. Now, in my opinion, it's a good bomb. It's, it's where something does need to blow up. The secret does need to blow up all of the structures in it that have allowed the abuse to happen. Often, this is why a survivor will pull their story back. Because the pressures of an entire system not supporting and shaming and scapegoating is tremendous on top of the task of healing from the emotional abuse, the grooming, and the bodily violation. Because Michael Jackson is dead, we can't ask him today in 2019. We'll never really fully know, even if other family members come forward to confirm or deny And that's a very sticky trapping of any system where someone is outing abuse. In those shadows is where a lot of abuse lies. It's where it can sit. There are reasons that this kind of abuse happens in whispers. It happens quietly. More often than not, it happens gently. So there aren't bruises. There aren't marks. There aren't scars. There's nothing for a child to show. And there's little for... An adult to see. I think many of us struggle to accept Michael Jackson as a predator because his inner child was so visible. To our collective minds, an abuser seems big, looming, powerful, and overpowering of the innocence and vulnerability. There was so much innocence and vulnerability we could see and sense and feel and hear in Michael himself. To have to see innocence and vulnerability While considering predatory behavior, that's our cognitive dissonance. This is why it's so important in healing work and in really just being a human. I think it's important that we learn how to hold multiple, sometimes conflicting truths. Michael's celebrity held a big looming power in a way that his physicality maybe didn't, at least for those of us who were watching from the outside looking in his celebrity was dangerous for children and dangerous for our society in terms of cycles of abuse because the parents of children, if those parents had low insight and low empathy, those parents can easily be bought by shiny things because low insight, low empathy people who don't feel as deeply as the average highly sensitive person, they're more likely to be bought because there's more of a connection and maybe more of an excitement about stuff and status than protection, intuition, doing what one knows is right in their gut. So these low insight, low empathy parents are easy to manipulate with something like Celebrity. And not just big giant Michael Jackson level celebrity. That happens at a lower level in terms of the pastor of a church or a beloved teacher or the way that a small child thinks that their parent is a superhero. So there's lots for us to learn from this tragic story. I know many reject the claims of these former little boys who are now adults because they didn't come forward when they were younger. And they even denounced the abuse claims to support Michael Jackson in court. Interestingly to me and my process, the Michael Jackson issues played out on television in the 90s. This is when I was a teenager. So I have vivid memories of news stories and Michael Jackson addressing the news and that red shirt while my own sexual abuser was making comments about the Michael Jackson case. Comments and jokes and jabs. So that's just another interesting layer for me personally. And I wonder out there in the world how many people like me have been dealing with their own abuse for many, many years while observing what's happened with this famous story now we aren't islands in our own stories and that's part of what makes talking about any sexual abuse in any system difficult to be able to share my story i have to also share some things about the other players in my story and that can be tricky so i try to do that with some grace in my own story i confronted my parents at the age of 23 And immediately, my siblings were confronted for six very long months of my life. My siblings asserted that they had never been touched, never been abused. Intuitively, I knew that they had, and something very divine helped me wait it out. I knew it would come out in a way that I can't really explain other than something divine was helping me know that, was steadying me. And after six months, One of my siblings broke down and admitted the abuse was extensive and that it had lasted an entire decade It remains one of the greatest shocks of my life. It threw me into a tailspin because in that moment I realized that I was the last kid abused due to being the eldest and that he had started with the youngest in my family coming in as a stepfather and had worked his way up to abusing me now I know that that's common if an abuser enters a blended family. And it makes sense to me now that of course that abuser would go after the youngest, the most vulnerable, the most malleable, the easiest to manipulate. I believe my mother passively allowed us to be molested because the living situation worked for her and he didn't pressure her to go to work and enabled her prescription drug abuse. While many mothers wouldn't sign a document giving their child to a pedophile, the space where mothers turn a convenient blind eye is immense. And in my opinion, it is passively criminal. And in our system, legally, in the way that things work, this is an allowable loophole that exists. Now, I mentioned my own story because it might be the number one thing I've been asked about this documentary is how could the mothers allow their children to get into bed with Michael Jackson. Those mothers allowed themselves to be mystified by the lifestyle, by his pampering, by the extravagance. It takes a lot of time for a groomed child to find the truth. Many of us never do and take it to the grave. The fear of the bombs that go off as the truth drops keeps many a survivor silent. I believe one of the uncomfortablenesses, if that's a word, of our feelings collectively as a society about Michael Jackson is that most of us don't have boundaries education. So most of us have a very dysfunctional relationship with boundaries. We don't have boundaries till we are so disgusted, pissed off, And fed up that we have no idea sort of where to put someone like Michael Jackson in our psyches. He represents how torn we often feel. And I want you to know that torn is okay. We don't have to hate Michael Jackson or any abusers to deal with the issue of pedophilia in our society. It's okay if hating is part of your process and that's just where you are. Anger lets us know that our boundaries have been crossed and violated. But in healing, we learn and grow into over time this idea that we can and need to be in the gray of things. So when it comes to where do I put Michael Jackson sort of in my head, it's holding multiple truths. I have so much compassion For Michael Jackson, the lost child, the tender, gentle soul who created beautiful music, who donated much to help children in the world and the planet. You can see that in this documentary that the little boys who grew up into men, they don't hate him. And that's very, very hard for a survivor to explain to other people that they can be used and abused and have a lot of healing to do and also not hate their abuser. Part of the grooming process is that that abuser is often the closest, kindest, most gentle, most connected person in the survivor's life. The confusion of how to feel about an abuser keeps a lot of people stuck for years and decades and lifetimes. It doesn't have to. I have so much compassion for the now grown men who were abused by him That Michael's childhood was stolen from him by an abusive father and that that stolen childhood created more stolen childhoods is tragic. I hope that this documentary helped these men heal. I hope it helped them own their truth. I hope it helps every single viewer understand more of the complexity of how sustained, systematic grooming and childhood sexual abuse can happen. It happens in the lowest socioeconomic status, and it happens in the highest socioeconomic status, and it happens at every level in between. For me, and remember, we can disagree respectfully as a tribe, but for me, I will continue to listen to his music when it comes on, when I hear it in public, not just because I like it, not just because it's nostalgic for me and represents some different moments that were happy for me in life but because it reminds me that few people are all bad even those who violate children and it's a reminder to me that hurt people hurt people and it energizes me to keep going and helping people heal their hurt so that these cycles of abuse stop If he were still alive, I'd advocate for prison time and lifetime sex offender status and zero contact with children for Michael Jackson. I would also advocate that the parents, just as I pressed for my own mother to go to prison, to be charged with some kind of crime like gross negligence, particularly for the mom in the documentary who allowed her son to go back into Michael Jackson's bed after Others had made allegations public. If those now grown men hear this episode, I want to thank them for their story. I want to thank them for sharing the nitty gritty details in this uncomfortable disclosure that was uncomfortable to assert and uncomfortable to hear. You gave so many permission to look under the heavy stones that we place over the most intimate abuse moments desperately wanting them to get buried forever. When we bury our secrets with shame, we find ourselves in a necessary awakening where we realize that those buried abuses have grown into an intricate web of roots beneath the surface. Those dark, icky, secretive, sick roots start to strangle the life out of us. And it's only when we do the brave work to look under those stones those rocks and pull out that abuse from the roots do we start to get some freedom and some clarity these men and these producers of this documentary y'all bravely gave permission for so many to look under those heavy stones to ask for help looking under those stones and to excavate the truth to clear out and ultimately, with work, experience a clearing necessary for wholeness. Earlier this year, I interviewed Lucy Witz about her documentary, about her abuser, and I want to offer an update now. Days after we aired the episode with Lucy Witz from the documentary Dragon's Lair, Dragon was found guilty of seven counts of rapes of children and four counts of human trafficking. He was remanded into custody and has received a collective sentence of 90 years in prison. He will actively sit in prison for 35 years. Those charges will run concurrently, which means he gets to serve the time for his crimes all at the same time instead of back to back to back to back. I am not a lawyer, but in this country, I don't believe Lucy's documentary would have been entered as evidence for children on trial. In Namibia, Africa, where these charges were taking place, Lucy's documentary was allowed into evidence for the young girls he was abusing. That's why Lucy made the documentary. We have officially entered the time of secret revealing. And I hope anyone who is listening to this episode excavates what needs excavating so that those dark secret roots don't choke out life. I hope I was able to artfully go through my thoughts and feelings about this documentary to help bring some clarity If there's any confusion, if there's anything that you want to ask of my personal story, of anything that I've said today, please know that my story is available to you as an open book. Come ask me any question. You can find me at patreon.com backslash emotional badass. You can choose the tier that has you participating in our live monthly Q&As. I'd love some questions about this and to help bring some clarity in any way that I can. To all of you who are doing your work to uncover your secrets and to clear your pain, keep going. It gets better. It really, really, really gets better. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for giving me grace as I try to tackle really difficult topics. Keep taking care of yourselves and each other in this badass tribe. Light and love and strength to all of you. Until next time, I am an emotional badass, you are an emotional badass, and together we are where Moxie meets Mindful. Bye-bye!